Thank you, Pastor. Thank you. And uh, I didn't even really come dressed for preaching. Uh, I didn't know I was going to preach today. But it's always a blessing when God opens doors, you know, and uh, there's no, nothing you could do that is better than winning people for Christ. If uh, there's somebody here that hasn't won anybody for Christ yet, the day you will win somebody for Christ will be the happiest day of your life. It's, it's always a blessing. And uh, Pastor, I thank you for the opportunity. And like Pastor said, we went to Mexico. We were there actually for seven and a half years. Uh, we were sent by Forest City Baptist Church out of London. And our church in Mexico, it's called a Mountain Baptist Church. So it's right close to a mountain. So Pastor Legros still named it. That's the way he wanted it, be, uh, wanted it called. In Spanish, it's called Iglesia Bautista de la Montaña, which means the same thing. It just sounds a little different. But that's in Spanish. And uh, Pastor Sol uh, Paris took over for us in February. We came back in February here to Canada. And we do plan on staying here for a while, but we do plan on going back to Mexico one day. This was the second mission we started, the second church we started in Mexico. And both of them are doing good. Uh, there's good pastors in both of them. Uh, they're preaching the gospel and winning souls for Christ out there. And uh, God has put those people on my heart. I guess that's why uh, when I went back to Mexico in 1991, I met my wife. That's why I married a, a Spanish girl, because God knew one day he'd save me, because we got married in a Catholic, Roman Catholic church. I was not saved at the time. My wife was not saved at the time. I got saved. The Lord found me eight years after we were married. And my wife, about nine and a half years after we were married. So uh, it was a difficult one and a half years after I was saved, believe me. But I just want to say this, and I, I'm not going to give my testimony. I didn't live a good life up to there. My life was not good at all, and I'm not going to talk about much of that. But my wife, she always told me, let's go and find a different church. You don't have to go to my church if you don't want to. I'll go with you, but I just want you to change. I just want you to change. I want you to be different. And uh, having said that, I was, and now I see it as it is, an alcoholic. I drank a lot. So a lot of times I wasn't home. So my wife wanted me to change. And even though she wasn't saved, that was her prayer. And then God started sending my brother, he got saved, and he started sending him over because everybody else that would come down to speak to me about Christ, I would send away. I didn't want to hear the gospel. If a pastor came, and Pastor Bill Wall, he came to visit me quite often to talk to me about the gospel, about salvation, and I'd always tell him, see, where you came into the property, you can get off that the same way. I don't want you here. And now it hurts that I did that, but it taught me something. Even though people don't want to hear the gospel, even though they tell me to get, I still need to go back. Because if God hadn't sent people back to me, 
I'd probably be in hell right now or I'd still be on my way. So it's important. That's not just, okay, that person closed the door on me. I'm not, no, we need to go back. They need us to be back there because we never know. Just maybe this next time they will accept Christ as their Lord and Savior. And my brother got saved, and he came and spoke to me, and he was my boss, so I couldn't send him away. I was living in his house, so that wouldn't work. And, you know, and I'm not uh, going to go into everything that happened, but then one day I told him, I said, you know something? If you'll stop talking to me about Christ... I'll go to church because he always told me to go. Why don't you go to that church? They preached the gospel. It was a small independent Baptist church there about half an hour from where I lived in Mexico. And uh, one day I told him, okay, I'll go. And he says, I don't believe you. You've said that so many times. I said, I'll go in one condition that you don't speak to me about the Bible or about God anymore. My brother's also a politician. <laughs> and he said, you know something? You want conditions? Let's have conditions. If you go to that church and you come back and you can look me straight in the eye and you tell me that God didn't speak to you once during the message, but I will know if you're lying or not. If you can do that, then I won't speak. But if you cannot do that, I'll speak to you again. When I went to that church, my wife went with me. Our children were still small. Uh, it was 20 years ago in April that I got saved, that the Lord found me. And uh, all the pastor preached is about every sin I'd committed, everything I'd done wrong. I felt like I was the only person in church. And I thought my little brother had called the pastor and told him everything about my life. And I was mad at my brother. I walked out of there and I told my wife, never again will I walk into that church. But something happened in that church that day. I couldn't call my brother. He lived in Texas. I couldn't tell him what I thought of him. But you know something? Seed was planted. When I went out with my friends, somehow somehow the beer didn't taste as good. The Holy Spirit started working on me, and he gave me convictions. That's not for you. It's not right. And look where you will go, because the pastor had preached on hell, on heaven, and on every sin I'd committed. So uh, the seed was planted. Where I said, to make a long story short, where I said I'd never go again, two Sundays later, I was there again. At the invitation, there was a voice. You should go up there because you might die today, like the pastor said. You might die, and if you die without accepting Christ as your personal Savior, you will go to hell. Another voice said, yeah, but what will your friends say? You're always the one that walks right on front. They're just the followers. Look at what will they say to you. I did not go up to the altar that Sunday. Because we're always worried, what will our family members say? Or what will our friends say? The next Sunday, we were there again. The pastor had not even finished 
with the invitation, and I was up front at the altar, and my, I couldn't hold my tears. I was bowling. I was crying, and I told Jesus, I believe that I am a sinner, and I believe all I deserve is hell, but I believe you died for my sins as well. I believe that you paid my debt. I accept you as the only one that can save me from the power of sin and eternal hell. Jesus saved me that day. But he changed my way of thinking. And it's been the best 20 years of my life. God is good. Amen? God is good. Okay, let's go to the message. Amen? Like I said, we've been in OJ, and we call it OJ. It's Ojinaga, Mexico, but everybody there calls it OJ. And uh, we've seen God do great things, and I'll share a little bit with that, about it during the message. But I want to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 10 this morning. First, the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And I want to kind of look at motives for soul winning today. I want to look at several scriptural motives for soul winning. You know, a motive is an underlying reason or cause for certain action being performed. If we are winning souls, there has to be a reason for the incentive. And But let's read uh, chapter 10, verse 31. It says, Whether therefore ye eat or drink, or whatever ye do, do all to the glory of God. But before we go into the message, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this day. Lord, I thank you for all the blessings you've given us this day already. The message this morning, a powerful message. Thank you for using your servant, the pastor, and giving us that message. But I also thank you for all the hymns that were sung here this, this evening and this morning, uh, just praising and glorifying you, Holy Father. And we thank you for that. But we also thank you for the salvation that you've given us through the shed blood of your only begotten Son, Jesus Christ. And thank you, Lord, for allowing us to be co-labors with you in this work. Lord, use us, break us, so we may be able, that you may be able to use us in the way you want to, that you, we would be the clay and you would be the potter, Lord, that you would be able to use us so people could see Jesus Christ in our lives and would want the life that you've given us. Now, Lord, I pray that you would open our hearts and speak to us in a special way. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I'm a missionary, so most of the times when I go anywhere, I usually preach on soul winning. And I think it's one of the most important things in our lives. You know, and uh, I think God saved us all for a reason. And one of those reasons is, for us to be able, for to be us, for us to be able to serve him, or him to be able to use us, I should say. And my English is kind of rusty, sorry about that. But God wants to bless us, and he wants to work through us. But so many times we as believers believe, I don't know how to win souls. I don't know how to win souls. You know, um, I didn't have much schooling. I dropped out of school. 
before I finished high school. I grew up here in Ontario, but I didn't finish high school. So when I, when the Lord saved my soul, and I already knew that he wanted me to preach, I would always give the excuse, but Lord, I didn't have any schooling. If you really want me to preach, then allow me to go to somewhere where they can teach me. And the pastor would always say, look, I can teach you. So I didn't go to any Bible school, and I am for going to Bible school, but God never opened the doors. And I believe there's a reason for that. I believe God knows us better than anybody else. And he knew that then I'd probably depend upon what I'd learn in school instead of on him. Now I always have to go to God. God, you know what the people need. You know who's going to go be there. You know what they need to hear. Lord, use my mouth and my body to speak to the people. I believe we should always ask God that we would have a broken heart. But today, I want to look at, you know, motives for soul winning. And like I said, whether therefore you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So we should always do everything we do to the glory of God. So when we win souls, we glorify God. I believe when we win souls, we glorify God, and this should be one motive. God the Father is being dishonored by sinners whom we have not led to Christ, continuing in their sin. Now let's think about that. God or Father that loved us so much that sent his only begotten Son so we could be saved is being dishonored by all those people that don't know Christ. By all those people that are continuing in their sin, God the Father was being dishonored by me until the day he broke me, until the day he gave me conviction that I needed salvation. If we love our Father, we don't want anybody to dishonor our Father, do we? Even our earthly Father. I remember my dad, uh, my dad was not saved back when I grew up. I'm from the Mennonite background, German Mennonite background. So it was a work salvation. That's what we were taught, a works salvation. If you're good enough, you might make it. But one thing, when I had done wrong, and back then, yes, the belt was still allowed, and I thank God for that. Now I thank my dad that he had to use the belt on me sometimes. But my dad would always say, before he'd use it, son, this is going to hurt me a whole lot more than you, but I have to do this because you knew you weren't supposed to do what you did, so you know there's consequences. And I didn't understand why it would hurt me more than him. But now I do. But one thing I did not like, if somebody would speak bad about my dad, if somebody would dishonor my father, and now we have a heavenly father that loves us, that loved us so much that he sent his only begotten son, that whomsoever and him believeth should not perish but have everlasting life. So this should be a motive. Seeing that so many people are dishonoring our Heavenly Father, we should go out there and we should daily try to win souls for Christ so they will not dishonor our Heavenly Father. 
This glorifies God. Each and every time we can tell a person, you know something? God loves you. God sent his son. So you one day could be with him. God wants each and every person to be with him one day. It doesn't matter what they've done. Jesus died for those sins. He paid them in full. Are we here today? You know, Jesus wants Simcoe, each and every person in Simcoe to be saved. Did you know that? When you go out into Walmart, each and every person that you encounter, they're going to be one in one place for all eternity. And you know, we walk like this in the daytime. But we never know when the next step is going to be in eternity. Because all of a sudden, we're going to step into eternity. This life, it's going to end. We don't know when. I don't know how many people here know Pastor Abe Friesen. He used to be a Mission Baptist church. I used to be his assistant pastor some time back. But he lost a granddaughter just a week and a half ago. She was 24 years of age. She came from home from work, from London at nighttime, an accident, and she lost her life. So death has no age. That's why it's so important we speak to each and every person and that we pray in the morning, Lord, give me the wisdom that I need, that you can use me. Lord, put the words in my mouth that this person that I'm going to encounter this day needs to hear. How many of our bosses know that we are saved? We came back in February. I started work in April. I almost had my boss and his wife and his whole family convinced to come to church with us. Every chance I get, every chance I see them, I ask them, so do you know today already where you would go if you die? We don't know when our last day will come. So it's so important that we speak to people about Christ. God, the Son's death is being made useless when sinners are not led to appropriate it. It is as if Jesus had not died or had died in vain when sinners are not led to take advantage of his sacrifice. I know not everybody is going to believe. I know not everybody is going to accept Christ right away when we speak to them. I remember Pastor Wall came to my house for about six years before I did not send him away. Six years. I know Pastor Peter Gunther from Cornerstone Baptist in Woodstock. He was a friend of mine way before I got saved. And I know when he got saved, he started praying for me. And I remember after I had gotten saved, I got saved the 15th of April, 2001, five minutes after 12 o'clock. I still remember the time. But three days later, Pastor Gunther calls me in Mexico and somehow got a phone number that he could call me. And he said, I heard you got saved. He said, 10 years. 
10 years I prayed that God would save your soul. And those 10 years, I never doubted one day he would. We need faith that when we speak to somebody, God will do the rest. Amen? God will do the rest. That they can take advantage of the sacrifice of Christ as you and I already have. Because like Pastor said this morning, Jesus is coming back. We don't know when. But we do know he's coming back. And it could be today. I don't know how many of us have family members that are not saved. I still have a lot. I come from a big family. I have three brothers and nine sisters. So it's a big family. I have a lot of nephews and nieces that say they're atheists. So I pray for them every day and every chance I see them, I tell them that Jesus loves them. Even though they say they don't believe. But you know something? God is faithful. You know, God, the Holy Spirit, is being quenched because he is being restrained from performing his work of convicting and drawing the sinner by our failure to give out the gospel message. Now, I'm not saying in this church you're not giving out the gospel. I believe everybody is, and I sure hope everybody is. But I do know one thing. If we are saved, the Holy Spirit is in us. And the Holy Spirit wants to work. He does not want to be quenched. He does not want to be saddened. He wants to work. He wants to be active from 24 hours a day. He wants people to hear the good news. He does not want us to be quiet. He does not want us to believe the lie that Satan tells us, you don't know how to win souls. That's a lie of Satan's. I always tell people, I don't know how. But you know something? I have somebody living in me that does know how. Amen? If we don't, he does. If we depend upon the Holy Spirit, he will give us the words that these people need to hear. And he will do the rest. He will do the rest. The Holy Spirit's work is contingent upon our responsibility of giving out the gospel. But that is our responsibility. We plant the seed. He'll do the convicting. And this is a motive for winning souls so the Holy Spirit can be active, that people can come and accept Christ, take advantage of his sacrifice, that people will stop dishonoring God the Father. So you see, God is being dishonored. Christ's death is being dissipated. And the Holy Spirit is being disappointed when we fail to win souls. What a terrible sin against the Holy Trinity. 
Adversely, therefore, to win souls certainly glorifies God. This is the great motive for doing personal work. But I want to look at something else today. And since I know your pastor the best, I'm going to kind of use him as an example here in a bit. But Psalm chapter 9, and I'm not going to go there, verse 17 says, The wicked shall be turned into hell, and all people who forget God. It says, the wicked shall be turned into hell and all people who forget God. So we believe that hell is a real place. It's a place that was prepared for the devil and his angels, his followers. But we believe that everybody that's going to reject Christ is going to go there as well. I just want to ask you, and we went to Port Dover today, just, and I had never gone there. It's a beautiful town. Uh, pastor told me how to get there. And, uh, and I was thinking, I was looking at all these boats on the lake there and going on the river towards the lake, Lake Erie. If Bethel Baptist one day should rent a ship or a boat where everybody could get in and go out onto Lake Erie, to have a good time, to have fellowship. And all of a sudden, you're in the middle of Lake Erie, way far away from any land, your pastor falls overboard. No life jacket, and he falls overboard. But you have a rope on there, and you could take that rope, and you could throw him the rope. Now I ask, how many of you would want to grab the rope and help your pastor so he wouldn't drown? <laughs> I was hoping to hear some amen, uh, hear some amens, that I would throw the rope. And I hope all of you would try to throw that rope. We have the rope right here. People are going to hell every day. People that are walking by us on the left and on the right. And we know they don't have Christ. They don't know Christ as their Lord and Savior. We know this. We have the rope. We would throw the rope for the pastor, knowing that if he dies, he'd still go to heaven. He'd go to a whole lot better place. But somebody we know is going to hell. How many times do we not throw the rope? This is the rope God has given us to save people from eternal suffering, from eternal condemnation. And he has given us this rope to use. Amen? To use. That's the reason we have it. We do not have it to put on a shelf and just let it lay there. To study it, read it, read his word, meditate upon it, and then still ask him to give us the words that are needed. 
I don't know what the people need to hear, but you know something? God does. He knows each and every person's thoughts. He knows each and every person's need. He knows exactly what they need to hear. If we only tell him, God, here is my life, here is my mouth, here is my body, use it for your honor and glory, God will use us. I always tell people, if God can use a person like me with no education to win people for Christ, what could he not do with people that have an education? He can use anybody. But then again, God does not want our wisdom, does he? He just wants us to be willing to say, I'm yours. I was bought with the shed blood of Jesus Christ. I lost my right to live this life the way I want to live it, the 15th of April, five minutes after 12 noon. I was bought with a price. I'm his property to do what he wants me to do. Are you? That's just a question today. God wants to bless us. Now, I want to just share a couple of stories here to end. And I just want to say prayers are so important in all of this. So important. But we do need to believe God listens. And God answers. Yes, sometimes he says no. Because a lot of times we ask for things we don't need. But two years ago, and I visited this church as well that, that time, we came to visit because my mom was sick, and she's still with us. And I thank God he saved both of my parents. My dad has gone home to be with the Lord. In 2014, he passed away here in Ontario. My mom lives, we, we are actually living in her house. We rented the basement in Straffordville right now. And, uh, but we came to visit my mom and our children because they live here as well. They live in London. They go to Harvesters Baptist, where Pastor Lyle Featherstone is a pastor right now. And we got notice. We'd been here for almost two weeks. Now we got a call from Mexico that my, mom, my wife's dad had fallen really sick. Now he had been sick a little bit before we came, but when we came, when we left Mexico for Canada, he was in good health. The doctor said he was doing a lot better. They had told us that what he had, that he wasn't producing blood, but now the body was starting to produce blood again. He was looking good. It seemed everything was good. We asked, does he have cancer? They said, no, it's not cancer. So when we came down here, we got a call, and they said, the doctor just told us, that her dad has hours to live, maximum two, three days. His body is full of cancer. So first they told us he didn't have cancer, and then they told us that he had hours, maybe two days to live. So what did we do? We called our kids. We were at my mom's at the time. We called our kids. 
and told them, and we told them to start praying. I called a lot of pastors whose numbers I had, and I said, look, my father-in-law does not know Christ as his Savior. He has a short time. He would never listen to the gospel. He would never accept. They were very strong uh, Roman Catholic. My mother-in-law is today yet the same. She's worse than she was before, actually. And uh, pray for him. Pray that God would break him there yet at the end and save him. Allow us to go and talk to him if it's possible. And you know, and we left. We drove straight. Our kids went with us. And it is 40-hour drive. So we left. And we got there. We left there on Friday evening, I think night, Friday night. And we got there Sunday and we dropped by Oklahoma for a little bit. Her brother lives there, but because he didn't have papers, he couldn't go. So we dropped by there just a bit, and then we uh, drove out again. We got to my father-in-law's about two in the afternoon on Sunday, my parent-in-law's, my in-law's place on Sunday, and that was about five-hour drive from where our mission was yet, so... Uh, we didn't even drop by church there that morning. We just drove straight because we knew he wasn't healthy. And even as we were in Mexico already, they called us and they said he's fallen really, really sick. Hurry up. It doesn't look like he's going to live until you get here. But we were praying the whole way. Our kids, us, and I know a lot of pastors and, 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 the, and the congregations, that God would not allow my father-in-law to die without accepting Christ as his Lord and Savior. And that was our prayer, because we wanted him to be in heaven. And that's our prayer today, that God would not allow our family members to die without Christ. And I think we should all pray that. But I just want to say this. When we got there, I saw something I had never seen before. My father-in-law was still alive. In the morning, he had still been able to talk. But all he was doing, he was laying in bed. When we got there, and this is what he was doing, and I'm going to kind of show you here what he was doing. He was laying in bed, and all he was doing is... <laughs> That's all he was doing. He couldn't stop doing that. Nobody could come near. He didn't talk. It was like he was scared out of his mind. And I told my wife, I believe here's, there's spiritual warfare going on. I believe our prayers are being answered. And let's pray. And you know, and God did something marvelous there. If my wife would have asked her mom or her sisters, if they would allow her to pray with their father, they would have said no. So against are they about the gospel. They're religious, very religious, but they're totally against the true gospel. But somehow, because we just got there, everybody moved out of where the dad was, my wife, my son David, my, our oldest son, and one of her aunts that's also saved. Well, it's actually not an aunt. It's the wife to a cousin of my father-in-law stayed in there. And my father-in-law was the same way. And then my wife grabbed his hand. And my son David told me about it. And she said, Dad, do you want to pray with me? 
And then he did this. And the ant also came, and my son David, and they started praying, and a calm started coming over him. And then they asked, do you want to accept Christ? And yes, and yes, his, his, he wanted to accept Christ. And they prayed with him and how he could accept Christ. And you would not believe the calm. People didn't understand what happened. My father-in-law didn't move at all. He was calm for two hours until the Lord took him home. God does answer prayers. Never say God does not answer prayers. He's shown us time and time again. If we pray and we believe, he will answer prayers and he will save. I know my father-in-law is in heaven because God did not allow him to die before his daughter got there. And he used his daughter so he could be saved. And we are so thankful for a God that we know keeps his promises. Amen? That we know keeps his promises. Last year in August, one of the families in our church there in Mexico that we started, their last name is Bueno. The Bueno family, a very faithful family, were one of the first ones that got saved there. Brother Iram, when we got there, he's the mayor of that small town where we're at, where the church building is. It's right outside of Okinawa, actually. It's a small little town, but it's about two, two kilometers from the actual city. And he's the mayor of that small town. And he didn't want to have anything to do with the church. But I kept on visiting him, kept on visiting, and then he started coming. And then God sent a missionary from India to preach one Sunday, and that Sunday he accepted Christ. So God just showed me again, it's not your work. You plant, (laughs) God used another man to win them for Christ. Amen? So the honor and glory goes to God. You know, but their daughter got saved, his wife got saved, and he got saved. But they have two sons. They didn't. And one of them lived in Texas, 23 years of age. He was married, had three children, one on his way. The 5th day of August, last year, they get a phone call. And they call me right after. Their son was working in the oil field. A big explosion in the oil field. On Wednesday nights, a prayer meeting, Bible study and prayer meeting, their prayer was always God Don't let our sons die without Christ. Their son was on a tower about 25 feet above ground. Him and another man. When he saw what was going to happen, 
that there was going to be an explosion, he threw the other guy off. And as he wants to jump, the explosion happened. So the explosion threw him. They said he almost landed on his head. 85% of his body was burnt inside and out. They flew him from Midland, Texas to Lubbock, Texas. With an helicopter, which takes about 40 minutes. He didn't lose consciousness once because his mom, when they called her and that what had happened, the only thing she would pray and pray and pray and call everybody to pray, God, don't let my son die without Christ. And his sister as well. God, if he is going to go, don't let him die without Christ. They drove. They wanted to cross the border and they wouldn't let them cross. Now they had to send from the hospital the information to the border because of COVID. So the border would let them cross and go to Lubbock. And it's a 10-hour drive. Now imagine, 85%. Nobody understood why he was even alive. The doctors couldn't understand how he could be alive, much less conscious. Now, this is the God we serve. That's why I'm sharing this. They got there. And they led their son to Christ. He was not able to speak. But both of them talked and gave him the plan of salvation. And he had heard because they talked to him. And they asked, son, do you want to accept Christ as your Savior? Will you accept him? And the tears started flowing. He couldn't talk. And then he passed away. I didn't know what was going to happen. Because they're... Not that old in Christ. So I was scared what would happen to their faith. But I want to say this. It strengthened their faith. They saw God at work. They said, our son is in a way better place. And where he is, we will go. This is what it's about. It's not about us. It's not about what people will say. Or think about us. It's about where are they going to go if they die? Well, we ask God for courage today to speak to other people about Christ and how they can be saved. I think this is the most important thing that anybody could ever do in this life. Pastor, I thank you for your time. May God bless each and every one of you.